Um, so welcome back everyone to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast. And I have today a HROG. Yes. <laughs> I have an HROG with me. Um, Lola. Hello, hello. Lola, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. No worries. So for those that don't know, Lola actually runs her own HR people business as well. Yeah. And you've got an extensive background in HR, do recruitment as well for like HR talent roles. Yeah. And you just got a master's. I just finished my master's. Well done. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was literally hell, but we what we hear. <laughs> It was hell. I really hated every single second of it. I'm glad I got the masters and I really enjoyed the research bit at the end because you get to pick your own topic and I'm like really interested in Gen Z in the workplace. Okay. So I kind of focus mine around that. Um but yeah, like the actual studying in a pandemic. It wasn't the one. It's not it. Is it? How long did you um start do the masters for? Was it? Uh, I did it two years part time. So I started in January 2020 when the world was a normal place, <laughs> and then by the time I finished, it was January 2022. I got my results in March, and then I graduated finally in July, which was like a nice end to the chapter. <laughs> yeah, I saw your post on LinkedIn, Close. and I thought, yeah, she's happy to end. Yeah, yeah, I'm, the- I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> no more studying. No more studying. You looked happy to end it, but it's a, it's a, it's a good achievement. It's a yeah, yeah, no, well. it's definitely like great for my career, great for what I'm trying to do. Yeah. It's a great achievement in general. Yeah, what made you want to go and get a master's in the first place? So I'll give you the abbreviated version, but basically my background is quite different. So even though I've been working in various kind of HR domains for like 10 years, I actually started in reward, which is like all about money, compensation and benefits. It's kind of more sits within finance, so, or tax. So I made a conscious move to move into like a generalist, like general HR Mm. um, in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so I had a bit more of a different background to some other people. Um, And so as I've been trying to move through my career, I studied CIPD and then I just decided that it would help me to kind of get more senior more quickly like to progress in my career because everybody else had probably another five years HR experience and I was in a similar kind of role. So I thought, if I do a master's, it'll help me to under, like plug any gaps that I had. So that was kind of the, the logic. But as, as luck would have it, I ended up securing the type of role that I wanted to secure just before I started. Yeah, so. Really? And what, and what, what was that? Um, head of people and talent at like a, a SME. So I was at a mm-hmm. kind of 200 person uh, recruitment and staffing business. Um, and yeah, I think... They did different types of recruitment. I won't get too much into it. But yeah, so mm. I got my first like head of HR role. That's really impressive, you know, especially because I've, well, I've been told by one person, I won't, I can't say what position they're in my life because it'd be so obvious, but they are a HR director. They're black women as well, but they have complained and said that it's, it's been a very difficult journey for them to get to that seniority. Did you find that you had a similar experience or was it quite smooth sailing for you? Um, to be honest, it was, I didn't, I won't necessarily say that I had a difficult journey to get to the position because I did it quite quickly and it was just kind of a little bit of hard work and a lot of luck. Yeah. To be honest, in t- not in terms of like the knowledge, I put a lot of work into 
like learning HR, like backwards and forwards, employment law, like I'm a proper HR geek. But in terms of the right opportunity coming at the right time yeah. and the kind of business they were, like it was, even though it was a 200 person business that had been going for a very long time, they were kind of in a bit of a mess such that a mm. really, really established head of HR would have just been like, no. <laughs> really? So they kind of wanted somebody who could grow with the role. Right. And so for me, it was like the perfect opportunity. So they thought, okay, she's not maybe the finished product, but she will be in some time so yeah it wasn't too difficult for me but in terms of the experiences that I've had within any job and any HR role that I've had even before I was working in HR you get the challenges that you would typically associate with being a black person or black woman in the workplace they exist they're real do you think you have a bit more leverage though because you're in HR so you know policies and procedures so people will take the piss less with you um I think that people try to be on their best behavior in front of HR. So Always, even so in social environments as well. Everything, <laughs> like you be in HR and then there'll be a social, you show up and everyone be like, oh, we need to behave because HR's here. <laughs> and it depends like what you do. But yeah. The kind of HR I do, and I have literally no interest in policing you. Like as long as you're not being like a raging racist or homophobe or, you know, yeah. I don't want to come here and, and police you. Like that's not what I'm here to do. So yeah, people, you, people generally are on their better behavior, but even that, like, even then some people just have loose lips or they're just stupid. So people still say re- reckless things. You still have to correct to you. people to you. Um, people said things about me that have gone back to me and stuff like that. Like people are just really stupid. Like, so how have you, I guess, separated emotions and remain professional because I feel like from what um our mutual friend said about you and from how you kind of come across I feel like you know how to remain professional mm-hmm. even if situations are a bit rocky in the workplace I feel like that I yeah be wrong. no no 100% like it's it's as a HR person like you just have to be like you just have to that's like a skill that you have to have like the ability to be able to say off without <laughs> saying or whenever you want to say it not saying it um so I'm quite good at that, but one thing I have done, if 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 I compare my kind of pre-generalist HR life to my HR life, mm. is that when I wasn't sitting in like generalist HR where I could have to do like a disciplinary or something, mm. I was probably had it was easier to make friends with the people that you worked with. Whereas now I'm more likely to keep a professional distance with people that sit outside really? of HR and stuff. Why? Like that. Because especially when you work in a small company, like you have access to a lot of information and also you're the person for the good times and the bad times so for instance if someone does something bad and they're your friend you will still have to sit there and do their disciplinary and yeah Yeah. in in some cases you might actually have to excuse yourself and get somebody else to do it because you'll be conflicted because you won't there'll be it'll be a conflict of interest like you won't be objective enough to do your to do your job so that's why it's just easier to stay like out of things and then a lot of time you have to do stuff like investigations we do a lot more than like disciplinaries and stuff like that but if you if you do have to sometimes you have to make hard decisions you have to have difficult conversations and it's really hard to do that with your mates yeah so with that being said then do you think you can build genuine relationships in that work if you have to keep that distance that you can you can build genuine relationships but they have to have boundaries the some of the best like friendships i've made at work i i was in hr but I wasn't necessarily like you can be in HR and have like a client group. So I could be HR for the tech team or I can be HR for um, I can be HR for finance or something like that, you know. Okay. So it 
I would probably it'd be easier to make genuine friendship outside of my client group right, because I'm not mean. looking after them. Yeah, um, and also you know you can bond over different things. It's just the smaller the kind of company you're in, the harder it is to do that. When you're in a big company, like it really makes no difference. Okay, um, but it's only when you're in like a small company or you're in a very very senior role. Okay, so I've got a question for you, mm-hmm. as I do because I've been asking questions the whole time anyway. <laughs> but you, so you, for those that don't know, Lola hosts um, a podcast show, her own podcast show with two other young ladies yeah, as well. Everybody hates HR. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. So I know that you you have you have that as a show, right? And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you why did you call it Everybody Hates HR? What is the reason behind it? Everybody hates HR. <laughs> like, that's legit the reason. We had a conversation. Was like, what should we call it? And we were sat like we done in the group chat, and we've been throwing ideas ideas around and um Valisa um she was she's one of the ladies on the podcast Valisa and Foya shout them out um but she was like how about everybody hates her and all of us were like yeah that's it because it is like the stereotype of like yeah. HR are like you know we're terrible people we're like you know we only care about the business and we're there when people want to get fired we're only there for the bad times and yeah. like literally like when you hear HR, people run or they sh- they like they cringe or they just they don't like us. So okay, <laughs> so what do you think organisations need to do better to get that stigma decreased, like to completely change that stigma, or or do you think it's not the business's fault? It's- it depends on it depends on the business. Like yeah. there's so many things that you do in HR, so that are completely outside of the negative stuff. Like learning and development falls within HR, career planning, career succession, positive things, you know, well being, mm. recruitment mm. can sit within the people function. Mm. You know, all of these things that you know, employer branding, um, like so many different things sit within you know the hr or the people function mm. and a lot of those most of those are very positive things we're talking about how to develop you like how to grow your career mm, mm. how to take you to the next level mm. how what all of these great things but a lot of the time people don't know what hr do so a lot of the people that have the negative stereotypes or the stigmas is because they haven't really had interaction with hr and a lot mm. of businesses are not very good at proactively pushing their people or hr teams in people's faces and saying mm. this is what we do this is our manifesto this is how we're going to help you these are all the wonderful things that we've done for you this year yeah, you know yeah you know we're the ones who went to go and do the big benchmarking exercise to find out that actually you should have been your market rates a little bit higher and we yeah. should be paying you more money yeah we're the people behind that like we're the engine that is driving all of that stuff like it's such a big we have such a big scope but people just don't know what we do so i think you know drop-in sessions like hr being more visible yeah in the, in yeah. the workplace and not just showing up when there's somebody to fight you know yeah that would help to change the stigma because i mean i don't know if anyone listens to the podcast don't know but we're vibes yeah yeah no, you guys are you guys are and you're very you're very down to earth like you you don't come not that you don't come across as typical no, it HR is exactly professionals what you, it's exactly what you say when people think of hr they think about sally and hr yeah and like yeah they do like old white woman with blonde hair who's talking about some policy or something like that and you know can barely say your name or you know like that's the kind of stereotype people have of hr so when they yeah. see like three like we say we're hr hot girls you know like <laughs> when they see three like normal black young like professional like that's not the stereotypical view of hr yeah but there's lots of us like it's not just the three of us that have the podcast there's lots of like young yeah. um you know even older like we just there's just we have lots of range yeah. you know it is a predominantly female dominated um 
like area or p- profession, but there's men in HR, there's older people in HR, there's young people in HR, there's people of all different races. But mm. I think in the UK, it's something like 80 something percent white women that are in HR. in HR. So as someone that's worked in a variety of different businesses, big, small startups within HR organisations, mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the key reasons why companies don't retain not just black em, em, employees but underrepresented employees while they don't retain them don't retain them i think there's so much emphasis well there's no emphasis on retention there's, there is emphasis in some places but a lot of the focus is on recruitment so everyone yeah. goes out like, let's go recruit some like they'll just use black people <laughs> yeah me talk about. let's go recruit some black people okay yeah. cool you recruit some black people but the infrastructure the environment is not the one that is conducive to them staying here yeah so you can bring them in but you need to address the stuff that goes around it like the inclusion the work like and i even hate talking about like dni or edni whatever you want to call it now because it's just like so many there's so many terms and abbreviations it's just for it like as well. it's it's just it's overthought about and and it's it's over talked about and underthought about and and it's and there's like very little action behind yeah yeah so much performative yeah. behavior yeah but that's why a lot of the time it's like there's you're not retaining them because you haven't really put effort into retaining them or even thinking about it i can tell you like when it comes to i'll talk about underrepresented groups mm. and even the whole bame thing right when you group all these underrepresented groups together, mm. you're never going to get good outcomes anyway mm. because mm. we want different things. We have different struggles. We have different challenges within the workplace. Mm. So from the moment you're grouping us all together as BAME, as an example, you've already lost. There's no way for you to address address the issues that you have because mm. it's like you wouldn't say, okay, we're gonna we, we're gonna have a program that addresses women and the LGBT community together because it mm. the, it wouldn't the interventions that you would need yeah, to it's be different. different yeah 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 it's different so for those that are, are listening that are in I guess companies that may not understand why grouping all ethnic minorities together because I've had that before plenty of times I've, I've even had people say to me why is it black Craig connects why don't you do BAME and this I'm like no because we have a specific need and I understand I need the most out of any other ethnic minority mm. so for those that don't understand um, the key differences in needs what do you think black employees need that's totally different to what other underrepresented groups need in the workplace um so i'll answer the first question right the reason that as a as a black person so i'll speak as a as a black person and also as a hr person right um so as a black person the reason bame is not it's conducive to solving any of the issues that i have in the workplace is because uh when you're a lot of the time you're addressing anti-black behavior or anti-black things like people have things that people have done either knowingly or, un- un- mm. or unknowingly whether that is you know the way you progress in the workplace not being conducive to supporting black people whether it is actually like overt racism mm. anything like that Mm-mm. the reality is sad reality and you know i don't know what kind of listeners you have but hopefully this doesn't fall on deaf ears is a lot of anti-black behavior is not just perpetrated by white people so you have anti-black behavior that is perpetrated by other ethnic minorities so to be to then be to then be grouped with other people who are possible who would possibly you know be demonstrating this anti-black behavior as part of the solution it's just madness Mm, mm, mm. do you know what i mean it doesn't make Mm, any sense mm. like you you just you just it's just never going to solve the problem yeah so and it's also very centering on whiteness and white people yeah and without me getting too deep in my like you know woke bag it's the whole idea of you can get deep by the way yeah the whole idea of having like white and non-white is crazy 
Like it's just, it doesn't make sense because you wouldn't like, it's literally saying there's white and then everybody else is grouped together, but we're also different. We're also different. I've never actually thought about that. I think it's because it's what we're used to. Yeah, we're so used to. We don't don't even think about it. We're just saying, okay, white and everything else. That is just crazy because this, we're from all over the world, have different backgrounds, different, you know, different cultural norms. Yeah, Lots yeah, of yeah. Things. So to group people from China and people from Nigeria together, together. like, it's Oh, you're, you're all different. Just sit yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, well, we're, so we've got you got yeah, normal, it's crazy. got abnormal. That is kind of like that. Yeah. And so then when you think about, you know, as a HR person, I'm talking about the needs of yeah. the black population. Each group has... Kind of stereotypes and struggles that they have that they're associated with. For instance, the whole idea of being lazy is something that is more likely to be ascribed to a black person, but you wouldn't necessarily ascribe it to like the stereotype of being lazy. You would never ascribe to an East Asian person. Yeah. You wouldn't see like um, a Chinese girl in the office and think, "Oh, she's probably lazy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 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 work that we need to do to unpick that will be different for the two different populations Mm-mm. or for instance as a black man in the workplace you're more likely to be feared again if you're an east asian man you're less likely to be feared yeah, people yeah. are less likely to fear someone from china or some from japan or it's just it's yeah, different yeah. whereas if you're like someone from south asia for instance you might have to with different stereotypes so a lot of south asians complain about people really piling work on them because mm. one of their um stereotypes is that they have the best work ethic yeah and you can you know give south asians and a lot of fair. work yeah. and then you just end up piling work on them and crushing them and not thinking about their well-being mm. and so that's that's more likely to be a complaint that they have mm. you know or you know we have different we have different religions you have black people that are muslim and christian and other things like that but you know if your people from the asian community in the uk are more likely to be muslim than someone from like um the caribbean community or something like that mm. so then you get the intersectionality of like how that might how their religion and the fact that they have to pray five times or something might affect their progression or something in the workplace like it's just too broad to group mm. everyone together and say bame why should organizations care because i feel like with what you said earlier about a lot of the work behind dni being performative i think there was like an ob- obvious up like an uproar as to why we need to do it but there's a lot of organizations organizations that still don't care mm. deep down for mm. clearly why is it important for them to acknowledge mm. and address some of the some of these behaviors and how to really make us feel comfortable at work uh there's there's two there's two avenues two ways to answer this question so first i'll give you the politically correct one that everybody loves to do we talk about the business case for diversity Mm. um there's loads of studies which suggest that diverse businesses businesses that are more diverse businesses where people feel like they belong they're more productive people are happier they produce better work you'll make more money like there's is it's a no-brainer there's there's lots of people who have there's lots of evidence people have done studies around it right Mm. like even stuff is so basic as like attrition so we're speaking about not being able to hold on to your talent like attrition costs money like to replace a full-time equivalent at a certain level it could be anything from 10 20 30 40 thousand pounds across Mm. recruitment fees productivity you know revenues Mm. lost from lack of productivity all of these things Mm. so it's just it's cheaper it's better you'll have a more efficient business Mm. if you care about these things so that Mm. is the you know the business case why the people you know the fat cats at the top should care the Mm. other side is the side that i care more about it's just like it's literally human rights here like Mm -hmm. just treat people equally and let Mm. people have access to the same opportunities so 
I've done a lot. I've done lots of DM9 work in the past, and actually, one of the most soul destroying things, and I don't know if you agree, is having to explain why people should take black people seriously or why we, they should care about our experience. I'm like, you should care about our experience because we're human beings and we're people, and actually, we do a bloody fantastic job. Usually, whenever we touch anything. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we do. Like I, I completely just to echo on what you're saying. On the human rights perspective, it's crazy. If you know some of the conversations that I've had with some C-levels recently with a VP of people who was black, by the way, said to me, um, she was like, Alicia, you know, I know I'm VP of people, but right now DNI is not my priority. Like I don't, I don't, I shouldn't have to do anything with DNI. Like that's, you know, your job. Like you need to do that or this. And I'm just like, DNI isn't just arranging an event. Mm. It's not just like putting out figures or statistics. It's in your attitudes and your behaviors and in how you treat people. And she had a distinctive way of treating her own people so differently. And I used to call her out on it all the time. And she she was really nice to me, which made it so hard for her to understand. Mm. But I'm like, no, but these people are saying you're treating them a, them, them a certain way. But she was like her amongst some other um, C-suites always have always kind of been... Um, I guess in the mindset that they don't actively need to do anything because DNI isn't within their role or, or isn't within their current priorities, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's imp- it's so I like the fact that you said it's a basic human right. It shouldn't have to be a, a crazy business priority. It shouldn't have to bring us profit. It shouldn't have to do any any of no. that. And do you know do you know what? There's again there's two groups of companies and those companies we can, I will hold them to different standards, right? There's companies that have kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit because they've come out and they've said hey we care about diversity we want this to be an inclusive business this is something that we advocate for because they felt like especially during 2020 they felt obliged to say something like yeah i don't know if you've seen that meme like the pressure is getting worse <laughs> like is that one yeah. The pressure, yeah it's like yeah. that one um but the pressure the pressure they were under to to talk it was too much like they just had to say stuff so they were forced into the corner to open their mouth and to say stuff and now they've made the statement they said we care we care about diversity you've said it now you have to you have to have the action then you have the other companies who have never spoken about it they're like listen we're white and we're right and this is how Mm. we're gonna stay those companies like they care less but at least they've said at least they haven't pretended to care eventually they will feel it because of all the stuff I spoke about in terms of productivity and stuff and some of them are feeling it now Mm. but there's a big culture in the UK or just in general of if it ain't broke don't fix it so as long as companies continue to make money they don't really need to think about diversity but do you know do you know what's crazy I again the reason why I even call this back create connect is because I'm a big advocate in my recruitment style of creating opportunity, mm. sometimes I will just meet a candidate. They're not right for the right role that I'm hiring, but I'll be like, just speak to them. They could be good for something. Mm. And I've been offered opportunities, even now, where it's, it wasn't an opportunity that they had in the business. Mm-hmm. It's because they met me mm-hmm. and they're like, do you know yeah. what? This is a new business There's stream. Be something for right. you. So, and, and I feel like if companies don't meet people that have different mindsets and experiences, they don't know how they can be missing out on other business opportunities. There's, there's, it's, it's even to a point where I've seen businesses. I, do you know what? I, com- I completely agree with like, you. It, it, like, like, like if you. If you have this, if you don't have... Like, because you know, people talk about diversity yeah. or, or whatever, or there's diversity of experience, mm. and that creates something, right? So, this is like the perfect example. You know, all these like all these campaigns, which yeah. are very they turn out 
they had all these millions of pounds behind them, all these big creative teams, and then it comes out and everyone's like, mm, this is a bit racist. <laughs> and you're like, how did someone let this like slip through? Or like, how yeah. did no one clock this? Or like when they do stuff like Oscar's so white or all of this. Nobody things. was in the room. Nobody, <laughs> the lo- nobody looked at that and yeah. said, hmm, this is off. Because yeah. you didn't have yeah. anybody in the room to, to say. Put- and that, that works in terms of like those diversity things, but also generally, if you don't yeah. have anybody in the room who can talk to the specific audience, yeah. then you're gonna be just your it'll just be hit and miss i mean and that's just in marketing but you need people with different experiences to know how things are going to land and to know how people might um receive things to know even what like this target group wants or how they want to be engaged with Mm. you need to engage that group you need to have them around the table and in the room yeah and that's why a lot of these businesses they make they make these big blunders and then they start thinking hmm maybe now is the time but the smart businesses, they won't wait to be embarrassed. Yeah, they <laughs> they'll, they'll just do it proactively. They, they won't. The only irritating thing for me in all of this is going to a white man's organisation, I'm going to say the straight, and helping them expand when we could potentially do it ourselves. And it's, it's completely fine to join a business and create an opportunity and everything. But there's also half of me that's like, there's so much of us doing this for other people and we can do it ourselves. What's your thoughts on that theory of like black people as a collective coming together and doing their own thing versus yeah. going to businesses and, and thriving? What's your... I mean, it's each their own, but the I think the reality of the situation is every, like... I support black owned business. I support black business in general. I have a black owned business now. Yeah. So like, I, I love that for us. However, we also have to realize that life, especially right now in yeah. this 2022, it's about survival. Mm. So actually a lot of the time, because of just where we are, there aren't like, when we're building these kind of black businesses, it's from the ground up. Mm. And that, that you, you even need to be in a very specific place to be able to take a risk and mm. go somewhere rather than to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go work for, a very established business whoever is owned by some shareholders or you know an old white man or uh, who, uh, yeah an old black man or yeah, whoever yeah. it is yeah like and know that you're going to get your check month yeah. to month to month and yeah. that's going to be good the whole idea of working right now in the place that we're in in terms of the number of black businesses and the scale of the black businesses yeah. it is does feel more like a risk and also even if the ones that are not that don't feel risky like there's a company called afrocentrics and they do like black hair stuff mm-hmm. they have hired loads of people and i remember thinking if i did that i would love to go and work for them um but even those but there's only so many vacancies that they have mm-hmm. you know like we don't i don't know if we have enough businesses within the black community that could stay in the sustain the whole black community yeah, yeah, now. yeah maybe in the future yeah but right now so i love the idea of building stuff together whether that is you know creatively whether that is from a business perspective however that is i love the idea of it because mm-hmm. That what is going to change our community is the econo- the yeah. e- economic side. But yeah. I definitely think we take a two-pronged approach. We build our own stuff, but then we um, we make it more comfortable to be in the larger organisations because there are opportunities there yeah. and we shouldn't opt out of those opportunities, you know? Like, no one ever looked at the CEO of Barclays and thought, oh, that guy's a sellout. That could be, like, in, in the FTSE 100, I can't remember, but I remember... I can't remember exactly what it is now or I haven't checked, but I remember a few years ago, there was literally, of the, all the FTSE 100 companies, there was one black CEO and I think he was at Aviva or something, an mm. insurance company. So we should be doing both like we should build our own but then we should take the opportunities mm. because they're there mm-hmm. like maybe they're not as accessible to us mm. but if we opt out of them somebody else will just take them no one is going to mourn the fact that we're not 
mm. opting in. Mm-hmm. And I guess to, even to um, echo that as well, there's opportunities that a company might present themselves that they they would have access to versus you by yourself. So even when it comes to yes. learning certain softwares or systems yeah. or having certain education or being at certain events and being able to speak, you may not have got the opportunity had you not been working for yeah. that company as well. So there's other things mm. in addition. Yeah, I think there was... Um a lady that I, that we had on our podcast, she's a software, well, she's an, a software engineering manager or an engineering manager, and she was speaking about, you know, how she learned to. She works for herself as well, mm. um, or well, at least was. She was basically saying she learned all of the what she knows in service. So basically, the idea, like, and and the same as me, same like, as me. So I, I, work, I, work, <laughs> yeah. I work for myself, but like. I had everything I learned. I learned working for other yeah, people. Like I learned how to how to be a good you know deliver delivery person. Yeah, I delivered projects. I, I delivered HR solutions. I delivered tax consulting. I learned the skills that I'm able to use in my own business in service of others. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially yeah. if we can take you know our lessons and we can spread them. We can teach other people, or we can mm. you know each one teach one that sort of thing. Mm-mm. So I think one of the problems or the difficulties we have sometimes within our community is that we want to run before we can walk. Mm -hmm. So someone will have the great idea, they'll have talent, you know, raw potential, the stuff that, you know, people wish they had. And where they would probably be better are kind of honing that talent and Mm. developing that talent under somebody else's guidance because of the experiences that we sometimes have in the workplace, we opt out yeah. and then we try to work for ourselves and we do it too early. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. Whereas actually if you were just, you know, taking the patient and under like underpinned it with the 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 learnings that you would have got with within employment, you would have been more successful. Yeah. So I think the timing is everything. Like mm. knowing when is your time to, you know, be in a team, when is your time to work for somebody else? When is your time to work for yourself? When is your time to get people to work for you? Yeah. Like all of that timing stuff is so important because if the timing is right, even if you have the potential you have to, if the timing is wrong, even if you have the potential you have the talent, it won't work. That's a good that's a really good point. I'm actually I'm thinking about it and as you were speaking, I was thinking to myself how someone really gonna know when the time is right? I just feel like when things happen, they happen. And you might have made a mistake and left your job too early, but whatever for whatever reason that experience was for you at that time mm. and you went back. Because I think a lot of I guess being black in the workplace as well, I think a lot of people get to a point where they're like, I'm done with this. I'm not getting promoted or I'm I'm being overlooked for opportunities or my voice isn't being heard enough and it it can get frustrating. So that might feel like it's the right time. Mm. How would you advise a black professional what the right timing is? Mm, That's hard. I think, you know, we have to use wisdom. And Mm. so it depends what you do. So like how mature is the market? So if you want to work for yourself, for instance, Mm-hmm. Or you want to let's say you want some freelance work you look at stuff like how mature is the market for freelancing where you are mm-hmm. like if the market if people freelance all the time and you know it's the kind of work that people pay for on fiverr you know there's a market there you mm-hmm. know and you need to say okay what is the price like how much would i be able like you need to do your research so mm-hmm. based on the skill now what how much would i be able to charge like would i be able to live off this money mm-hmm. do i even know like do i have the skills to do to run a business so mm. the thing about running your own business which to be honest is great it can be very financially lucrative but it could also be terrible like it's feast or famine mm. 
Like you could, I heard this multiple times. Yeah, I, 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 I do contingent recruitment, right? Um, and HR consultancy, so I could get five clients one month, and I can get zero clients another month. And then there's ways that you can smooth that out. But it's literally feast or famine. You can make ten, twenty k in a month, or you can make literally zero. And so, even in terms of managing your money, you have to just be a bit smart about it. So, mm. like, that's one thing to think about. Like, do you, like, is that do you have the skills to do that? Because I have to be, I'm the cook, I'm the cleaner, I'm the chief pot washer. You know, I have to do my own marketing. I do my own accounts. Well, mm. I haven't, I haven't accounted now, but do my own accounts. Like mm. I have to do business development, which is the ghetto. Like, <laughs> is, that, is that like business development? I know. The thing is, I won't do cold calling business development. That's not my style. Really? So what's I'm your ne- style? I'm network sales. So I have people in my network. I might see that they're recruiting for something or I've told, like I have, I'm not even, I love LinkedIn and I'm not even someone that's gone on LinkedIn and shouted, mm. hey, this is what I do yet. Mm. Maybe at some point, but for now I have enough work to tide me over yeah. so that people that know what I'm doing, they will reach out to me and say, hey, we're recruiting this role. And I do, I'm in, I'm in a niche. So I only recruit HR and t- talent professionals. I won't recruit anything else. Mm. Even if I have a client that really loves me and say, will you pick up a marketing role? I'm going to say no because Number one, I won't be good at it. Mm. And it's going to take me a lot of time. And mm. there's better people out there to do that for you than mm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I yeah, I have to do all of that stuff. And I don't necessarily enjoy every aspect of it. So that even that, it's another myth. The whole idea that if you work for yourself, then you just get to do what you love. You get to do what you love, yes. Sometimes. And you get to do it on your own timing. Yeah. But sometimes it's even on your own timing. Because if, you're, if you've got clients and they need it in this time, you still work for that client. So it's like... You just have to think about all of the things in the round. So yeah. how much money, like survival, I always say, first you survive, then you thrive. So survival is first and foremost, like how much money do I need to live? Like, and mm. the money I need to, I need to make sure that the standard of my living or the standard of my life in general is better mind, than yeah. in employment. Yeah. Because if it, I'm not going to leave to go and do something that's worse. Like, and I'm not just talking about financial um, standard of living. I'm talking about mental, mental spiritual. Well. Like, will I be generally Happy. happier if I go and do this because mm. I'm not going to go and do something where I'm going to be less happy like if I'm going to be mm. more unhappy I'm going to stay put here and you mm. can pay me every month mm. so will I be happier how much money do I need to think am I actually able to do this like mm. you know what skills do I have in my current what does the market say like all of these things mm. and then that's where you take it from I don't think there's any set formula in terms of now is the right time for you to do it by yourself but saying that there's two things you have to go by wisdom but then I do feel sometimes like there is a bit of intuition and mm. I don't, you, there's, you can only be so prepared, right? Because mm. even me, I work for myself now, but only since last year. And I was just finishing up my, like, I was, about to, I was about to start writing my dissertation. And I remember just thinking, when I finished this dissertation in January, I just want to be free. And I had a three months notice period. And so I said, you know what? At the end of last year, I think it was like October. I said, I'm going to hand in my notice. and I'm going to be done or September or whenever it was. I'm going to be done by this point this year. So that next year I'll be free. And then I didn't know what I was going to do. I started interviewing for jobs, blah, blah, blah. And the market was really buoyant. So I knew that I could get, I wasn't worried about money because I knew mm, that the market was pushing up salaries and stuff like that. And then the more I interviewed, I just thought, I'm not interested in any of these jobs. And like, <laughs> I feel you. No, I literally interview thinking, mm, like, yeah. this is not compelling for me. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not making my heart like yeah, really it pound. It, it doesn't, it doesn't excite me. Yeah. So then I said, it was only then that I thought, do you know what? Maybe I can just take some time out. Or maybe I can do my own thing. And it was more an emergent thing. So I had thought, you know what? I've got a little bit of money in the bank. Yeah. I have this opportunity why don't I just try and do something for myself yeah. and I am not the kind of I've never really wanted to be I want to work for myself I'm not yeah. that kind of person I like 
working for other people. I like knowing that at the end of the month on the 31st or the payday, the money is dropping. dropping. Yeah. (laughs) I enjoy that. Like, I enjoy that security. Like, I like to go to brunch. I like to do nice things. Like, I need the money. Yeah. Mm -mm. So, it wasn't something that I had planned, but actually, I just feel like sometimes you can capitalize on opportunities that come your way. Yeah, it makes sense. And you can be guided a little bit by intuition or desire. Yeah. I want to try this. Like, yeah. And the whole thing about knowing and not knowing, the the thing that stops people from trying is the fear of failure. Yeah. But I literally said, I was on Al Jazeera, like everybody's mum's favourite news channel. And um, they were, I had said something about the great resignation and they asked if I could join a segment and just like pre-record a little video. So I did it. And I said in the, in the video, I've decided to start my own business because if I fall flat on my face, I'll just get a job and that was literally my thinking so in terms of the right time if you can if there's a bit if you can be a bit formulaic with it okay do i have the skills am yeah. i ready blah blah blah. and then also mix that with is this something i want to do yeah. and then just do it and then if it doesn't work the the fear the embarrassment all of that stuff you have to put that aside because if it's you can try something and it not work if you're better off in employment go back to employment that's another thing People will try and start something from themselves. It won't work out. And the fear of, you know, or the shame of telling other people it didn't work out, it will it will force them to keep trying or to not go and not explore other opportunities. Yeah, that but it's not the end though. Them. Like if, like, I've always felt like if it, if it doesn't work out, it's, you don't die at the you end of it. Exactly. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You can get it back into employment, re-strategize, replan. And think about how you do it better next time. Because yeah. now you have intel, you actually yeah. have information, yeah. you know what was hard. Exactly. If you know next time, hey, I'm not doing my own marketing or I won't do my own account or next time I'm not going to do it by myself. I'm going to have somebody to start it with me or you'll have more information. You'll have more yeah. data to go off. And I just think that that in itself is like a wonderful thing. Mm. And then it might be that you try it now and you, it doesn't work and you try it again in five years and it's great. Yeah. Or you try it again next year yeah. and it's wonderful. Or you try it, you think, oh no, that was the ghetto. I'm going to stay in employment forever. Yeah. Like, but also I would say for anyone that's even on that journey as well is to be resourceful and like what was one thing that I'm learning now that I was not doing last year is take help if people are offering to do small tasks for you I'll manage this for you and they they're probably decent at it let them do it because I feel like they can from my experience, people have lifted weight for me that I've been saying no to for the past mm. like year and I'm, I've let them come in and help me. And I'm like, oh, my life feels a bit more structured that now you're helping. So be resourceful, see who you, what expertise you have in your family. Like you don't always have to pay someone mm. initially to like do your accounts for you. Do you have someone that's in your family mm. to help? Did you, did you get help initially or did um, you? So I didn't say this and I feel very embarrassed. <laughs> but um, I'm a qualified accountant. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so oh, so then you, you, that's why you can do your own account. No, but I don't want to. Okay, so you're, no, you're the choice. Qualified doesn't mean capable. This is what people should realise. You, you can get a, <laughs> a qualification. It doesn't mean you're capable. Mean you're <laughs> why? What's, what, what's, what's the challenge? I haven't done it so long. Like I've, never, like, I've never been a practicing accountant. I've done tax. I'm fine with the tax and stuff, but yeah. I haven't done it in a while. And I also don't enjoy it. Like, I pay, what, £90 a month to get someone to manage everything for me and then I pay 
quarterly I pay someone to do some VAT returns and stuff but that 90 pound a month versus the time it would take me and that's another thing the time like that makes sense valuing your time yeah. is something that has absolutely changed my life because before I was a cheap bleep. I was a cheap bleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I didn't want to spend money on stuff like that because if I can do it, I'm going to do it myself. Complete swift of mentality. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do everything by myself because... the. T- Imagine me spending four hours to do something that costs ninety pound a month. Honestly, honestly, I I remember some years ago when Bammy was willing to pay me to help her with like getting some like corporate clients and stuff. I was thinking, why are you paying me to do this? I'll mm. just do it for you. She was like, no, I'm going to pay you. And when I've looked back like three years, I'm I'm like, oh, this is how much money we've made. I'm like, this is why you got me because you didn't have time to do it, mm. but. I've done it and I enjoy business development mm-hmm. unlike you I actually love we need to, <laughs> I love, we need to talk offline I, I, I actually enjoy having conversations it's just conversations the yeah no, I, conversations, I like the conversations I don't like it's the, the actual reaching out bit yeah yeah but yeah no, it's, how, it's how you do it it's how, it's how you do it because I think some people do business development really really badly most people do I don't know if you get um, sold to on LinkedIn quite a lot yeah but I never respond but I, like, yeah so I, I never like what do you respond to? What type of message do you think you respond to? I don't really respond to business development stuff because I don't have like a need for it yeah. right now. So if someone told, like for instance, I was looking for an ATS. If you came to me at a time when I was looking for an ATS, I would yeah. speak to you yeah. if you had something and I'll look at pricing. I know what I'm, if it was vaguely within like the stuff that I needed. Yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. But you're selling, selling me some lead generation thing that I'm not, don't necessarily All have the a time. need for at the moment. No. Yeah, yeah. But what, I'd, what I would do on LinkedIn is, um, I'd obviously see if anyone in my net I'd scan job boards anyway and if I know someone at the company I'll just ask them like what the situation is and then if I see someone's recruiting if I'd, even if I don't know them I'll be like if I'm recruiting something similar I'll share like the ad that I'm doing at the moment and like look I'm working as well I've got candidates and that's how I pick up some quite a bit of my work so it's like it's I know that you have a need for this yeah it's much easier for me to sell to someone that I know has a need rather mm. than because that's how I like to be sold yeah. to and I'm not yeah. pushy and even if they say no if they say no I'm like okay cool I've had people that said no and then came back to me two weeks later and like always listen. with recruitment they will always return yeah that is the rule of <laughs> no trust me if you if you're a nice person you're decent mm. you're good at what you do that if they're de- trust me if they get desperate they'll come back to you yeah like I've had, <laughs> I get that a lot no we're okay for now we're gonna see I'm like okay cool just let me know if anything changes I'll send you over my terms anyway you can have a read over them know that they're very reasonable and then when um when they need me they'll remember and then they'll also know that I wasn't pushy and I wasn't annoying and I didn't yeah, hound them and I wasn't them rude yeah candidates like, exactly don't do that. exactly so that's the that's the situation but getting okay. help 100% agree with it like yeah. if you can get some help like and then also networking I had a, a discussion with one of the ladies on the podcast today about um about LinkedIn and networking so I posted a job not one that I'm actually working on but somebody um in my network is looking for what is essentially a junior HR person and it's not a role that they're paying me to do but I still want to leverage my network to support so I posted it on on Instagram because I know I have because of the content that I've made on YouTube and stuff I know that and because of the pod we have some people in HR following or people who Mm. want to get into HR Mm. so I've posted it Mm. and um I've asked people do you have LinkedIn and a lot of them have come back and said I don't have LinkedIn I'm like get LinkedIn and I'm like because that will help you a lot like just having like the power of the being in this time now my network has just been helped you massively and the fact that I've actually been active on LinkedIn for like years before I I started this it means that people 
kind of know me even they trust you that don't know me know me yeah 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 like i've been posting like credible content or even like when i was hiring at other businesses oh we're hiring posting pictures you know this yeah. is me i'm a smiley person like yeah. my branding is yellow because yeah. of all the things that it represents and that's the brand that i've put out for myself like yeah. a very happy joyful supportive yeah. like that's person that, that's how i like to see myself do you, do you know what's even crazy the reason even why i started this network in the first place was because i was doing a search on linkedin and i got to like the 10th page I didn't see one black candidate and it was a project management role and I was like nah you, I was like there's not enough black people that are either on LinkedIn or active or updating their profiles because I know so many outside of it that's when I started the WhatsApp group yeah. and I was like and that's when I understood probably majority of people didn't have LinkedIn or weren't utilising or updating it yeah, it was just it was, it was like an old episode, MySpace yeah. account and I was like no this is where it's even at even the pictures yeah yeah I'm like put a photo and smile like yeah. it will completely change, change how, yeah. how like because you when people don't have a LinkedIn photo you just literally look like a bot yeah <laughs> you look like you a bot and it, are you how you there yeah, you, yeah, you're you alive a bot? like it's just an active account <laughs> yeah and, and like it makes people feel like yeah, are you are you gonna engage? But mm. when people can see your happy smiley face, mm-hmm. they just it's just human. You're approachable. Just feel like you're approachable. Mm. Oh, you look like a nice person. Yeah, I'm not. And it, obviously, there's you know the people that are attractive always do well with anything yeah. to the photo. But it's not even about that. It's just like, are you a an approachable person? Mm-hmm. And it's really it's, it's sad to say, but especially in like our community, if you have like a West African name or a Muslim name or something like mm-hmm. that, again, people are going to fill in the blanks. And mm-hmm. because of stereotypes and stuff, they might not fill in the blanks in line with actually who you are or like, you know, they, they might not feel it in as positively as you, you are. And who you yeah. Are. Like, their representation is probably not going to be accurate and it's not going to probably be as wonderful as the person actually is. Mm. So I always say, like, just make sure people don't have to do too much, you know, as, as assuming. Let them know mm. who you are. Yeah. Like, put the skills, the qualifications you yeah. have. Put a picture, you know, tell people what you're into, like, that sort of thing. And, like, I, I'm just really shocked at how many people, especially, again, black people, don't have Yeah, don't have it. I've told my sisters, I've got two sisters in university at the moment, and I sat down with them and forced them to create a LinkedIn account. They're like, what's this for? I said, make it. And you're going to add your skills, you're going to add your university, and you're going to start building your network. And they're doing it now, and they're seeing the slow benefits of it, like in regards to getting placements and jobs and everything. I've told them. One thing, though, which is really, um, I've had like a really long thought about, I don't know if this is okay or not, but I wonder why LinkedIn on their LinkedIn recruiter side, have you have you used their LinkedIn yeah, recruiter yeah, side? why they don't have a diversity function i don't know if it's allowed i don't know if there's any laws behind it but like where they can't filter to diversity functions because it's if it's i think it's too it's too risky it's too direct it's too risky because you could you can reverse use it yeah that's true you could filter out that is true you can filter out asian candidates you can filter out gay candidates you could filter out black candidates you could filter out white candidates like i i just don't think that it's what but then, but then my question is, if people, if we want to hire more diverse, if, if, if that's what, where the world is going and we feel that in droplet applications anyway, like most of the time, most companies ask them, like, yeah. what is your ethnicity and whatever? But they keep it separate most of the time. Unless it's your paper application. If you're filling out a paper application in 2022, throw the company in the bin. But if but, it's like, <laughs> if it's like a ATS, most of the time it's kept separately. We can see it on the, on the ATS Which system. Which Greenhouse. We can, like, we can directly see what candidate has ticked what for what boxes. I don't know if we're meant to see that, but we can see it. Yeah, most of that, I've used a couple of, I'm, I haven't used Greenhouse except as a supplier. But right. 
yeah, you know, you're not maybe to the settings, it. but yeah, we, all the other ATSs I've used have always been separate. So you can see the pop, you can see the breakdown of the people. Right. Once you get a certain number of responses, yeah, but you can't see who's who's put what ethnicity and stuff. Yeah. So like, there's so in the ATS system for greenhouse, you can see if a candidate has said to have checked the boxes of their why, if they're LGBT plus, if they've got disability, and they can choose to say no or yes. Uh, but but they, but they know that you can see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Probably you should probably yeah. Them, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just had a thought about that. I don't know. Of course, I feel like it can be re- reversed and used in a negative way. But even using it in a positive way mm, depends. It's positive because like even that can also be discrimination legally, depending on the situation of company. So legally, if you're under, if you have an underrepresented group like women in tech, for mm-hmm. instance. You can do positive, you can do things like you can actively advertise for female candidates mm. or you can, um, if there's two people that are equally qualified, you can go with the woman because you can show that you are trying to address a, um, a disparity. Mm. But if you have a bunch of, if you have like a company that has loads of black people, like it's fairly represented and you go and hire more black people, someone can say that you've discriminated against for them for that. I think it depends on how though, because I know the difference between positive discrimination and positive action. Positive action is actively doing things to get in more candidates. Positive discrimination is when you say no to someone because they don't fit into that mm. bracket that you're mm. trying to hire for. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, when, like whenever I do like, um, diverse sourcing sessions I'm targeting certain groups because that's yeah, okay of course yeah but what so what is positive in, from I guess a HR you've got the I you, guess you would need to you would need to be able to demonstrate that that group is currently underrepresented or will shortly become in, underrepresented in the company in the company right so if, if you're high like you can do that stuff if you're looking for women for instance in your company you're a tech company you're looking for engineers and you haven't got any female engineers you can do what you can do that right okay but if you can show that you're not underrepresented if you can't demonstrate that you are right, representing do it then it's just actually it then becomes right okay okay got you but i also just feel like companies don't want that and and you would like shareholders and all that kind of stuff like when it comes to i don't know what your experience is but a lot of time when it comes to like diversity plans or actions or you know uh, business plans or whatever mm. it can it can be very people it can be really poorly received by the people in the majority because they start to feel like are they gonna is it gonna discriminate against them is it gonna disadvantage them are they gonna lose some of the benefits that they've had in the past and so i know when i've worked in big corporates really that's wild to me yeah no i've I've worked in big corporates i've you get like complaints about it that's so the reason i understand what you're saying and i have had similar experiences but for me, that's mad to think like that because for a very long time, we've been disadvantaged. For a very long time, we've been overlooked. And it's not, I don't understand why someone thinks because we're, we, we're going to have more opportunities that your opportunities are going to be decreased. Why can they not expand? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's because to be honest, they probably won't. It's not even that we're going to have more opportunities. We will have equal, equal opportunities. opportunities. Exactly. If, if, so if it's, it's equal, but obviously right now it's unequal. So let's say they've got 80, we've got 20. If we want to move to 50-50, we're taking 30 of yours and that I is, don't think so not necessarily I'm, I'm saying in, in the mind in, of, in, in the mind of the person yeah. so where it actually becomes like the reality is that right, right now in a lot of areas there mm. is a disparity you mm. are more likely to be selected uh, as in if we're talking about rep- representation yeah, yeah, yeah. you're more likely to be selected you've got a higher chance of being selected for a certain role if you are, sit in a certain demographic so to address that imbalance would mean that your the likelihood of you being selected needs to come down so that it is representative 
Because if you're overrepresented, so for instance, I worked in a company which was London based mm. or the off, London office, mm. and there were um, the business was you know eighty percent white, mm. um, and in you still have twenty percent black, Asian, you mm. know, other minority ethnic groups or whatever. But in London, London is forty percent non-white, so it's only sixty percent white people in London. Over forty percent are non-white, mm. right? So in in theory. You should be, if you're white, you should be 60%. Do you know what I mean? You should be 60% yeah. of the applicants and 60% of the new joiners and all yeah. that other kind of stuff. So if you put in something that actually fixes that now, you've now gone from being 80% likely to get a job to now you've been 60% likely to get a job. And even though that shit is fair representative, you are now less advantaged than you were. You have less privilege than okay. you did before. No, but I, I have no issue with Yeah, it. I know, it, but I, right I know that's do, how they but feel. But for them, it's still, they're still, they're still losing out. And that's, again, from my, from my perspective, I've got no sympathy because... None, I have none whatsoever. It's, is what it is. Yeah, the like, fact that it's a, this is this is what I'm saying. But but what people say out loud and what's in their heads is very different. Yeah. and that's the big challenge that is lives around all this ED and I stuff. Because yeah. sometimes it's, you have to say certain things because it's your job, or because if you said what you really believed in your heart, it wouldn't be very positive. But the things that go on in people's heads that they don't say out loud is a lot of the stuff. Well, I've sat in meetings it. where people have <laughs> yeah, but I've sat in meetings where people have said it like. You know, but th- won't that mean this? How will this group of people take it? Why don't we hold off on doing that because we don't know how well it will be received? See, that is, see, you're good. This is why you are HR and I'm not because I would be like, what have we been doing all these years when we're dismissing ethnic minorities for roles? Is there a problem then? There's been no issue yeah, but then. There, it's how do I explain it? Like, it's just you have to be, you have to, you can say that to black person. You have the lived experience. Yeah, other people just deny that that ever happened. Which like, is crazy. They'll deny that, that ever happened. I worked at um, Deloitte for five years. I had a good, decent experience there, but I went through some stuff that you, like you would in a business which is very kind of white Oxbridge. Yeah. Um, and they never had the whole time I was there. They never had one black partner. They had a mixed race partner who wasn't even an equity partner. Mm. But the, for the rest of the time, they never had one black partner, mm. and they had a thousand partners. So you're That's trying to tell crazy. me that you have a thousand partners and not one well, of them one. is black. So crazy. I would say to people stuff like. There's two real options that happen here. Either black people are not good enough, not smart enough, not whatever to become partner. We just don't have what it takes or the system is broken. Yeah. I heard people turn around and said, well, I don't think the system's broken. I think we have quite a fair system. So you're not saying it, but what you're really saying is that- We're not smart enough. We're not smart enough. We're not not good enough. We're not tough enough. We're not, you know, resilient enough. We're not, you know, talented enough to get to the top. But But the thing is, you see with this issue, because- I've had it again, right, with hiring, especially when it comes to senior roles, when we're looking at the like, get us a black woman. I'm like, this is going to be super hard because there's so little pool to choose from mm-hmm. for these type of roles, right? So what I, I've tried to explain to them over and over again is that, you know, if you go back five, 10 years, there's particular universities that white people were more prominent at. And back in, back now, the people are a bit more, or companies are a bit more, open lenient yeah when it comes to education back then they probably weren't Mm. and a lot of the time people get into roles because of connections and people are likely to stay and grow and develop in a place where they feel appreciated Mm. so that is why a lot of black people are not in senior positions that's what i used to explain to them and i used to and they told me okay well try to fix it try to come up come up with solutions and i had to strategize for it what 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 kind of solutions would you say that businesses can come up with to get more senior black leadership long-term 
solutions they have to be long term no that's not true they can be short and long term Mm. the reality is is there enough black talent to be represented at board level for every company probably not because again for everything that you said in progression Mm. as in is it when i say enough tact i mean readily available so if they said okay we want i don't know because all these businesses are based in london we want you know of the FTSE 100 we want 10 to be 10 of the CEOs to, to be, be black. or we want I don't know who's, le- who's readily available yeah would you have enough to be readily available talent we don't know it's possible not but wait before you continue why do you say that is it for the reasons you just explained for the, for the reasons you explained for the reasons I explained yeah like, okay they might not have been nurtured enough to even get, get to that there. point do they have the raw talent and ability yes uh, will they be sitting in other companies at sea levels now we don't know because they might not have been nurtured they might not have been given the opportunity the talent is there have the, has the opportunity been given we don't know that's what I said but what I always say to companies is is there enough people for you to be that for you you one company because that's what you care about to be that yes there is mm. so if you're a company that really wants it go out and find the people because not it's not like everyone's doing it and there's a really like it's so fierce for these people trying to get the few black a lot of companies are not doing it mm-hmm. so i always said like in the companies i worked in yeah okay cool is there enough like is there enough for instance tech talent for us to be you know 50 50 women in the in the UK, mm. no, because women are just underrepresented when it comes to engineering. Mm. But for an individual company, can we can we go out of the way to make sure that our numbers are good? Yes, we can. Yeah, yeah. And that's what some companies do because some companies are able to say, we've got 40, 50% of our engineers who are women. Mm. That's not because there's 40, 50% of the engineers that are women in the market. It's because mm. you have gone out and you've done interventions. You've looked under rocks. You've x-ray searched on GitHub. You've done events. You've mm. done, you know, it, you've done stuff at university level to get them straight out of university to coach mm. and develop them. You've mm. done that work. Yeah. So... I would say like it's not like I don't think it's, it would be easy overnight for everyone to become super representative but the companies that really care and the companies that want to do it mm. they will do it they will go and engage specific recruiters who deal with the specific target populations that they want to deal with they'll pay them they'll retain them you know they'll pay them properly to go and do the work mm. and to get those people they will you know I, they'll come up with plans to identify the rising stars who maybe are not ready now yeah but, but will be ready in the future and yeah. they will nurture them they'll make sure they have the support and the you know the money and all of the other hygiene factors and then all the other stuff that makes them want to stay and grow in the company yeah so when people say go and do it it's like cool what's the budget mm. what's the budget don't don't tell me to come and do it using mm. you know wishes and hopes honestly because it's, money it's, it takes a lot of because also, what I find is that some of the best senior black talent have been in their companies for quite a while. So it's going to take a lot of persuading and a lot of um, trust for them to want to move from where they're at mm. to take a risk and leap yeah. into a new position. One of the companies that I worked with previously that mm. asked me to do that, I actually said to them, you might even have to look outside the industry, like look at similar skill sets, but not necessarily go for like another agency. You might have to look at, we have to be open to people in government potentially, mm. or people that are in education. Do you know where there's a lot of, you know where there's a lot of senior black talent? In government? Yep. Yeah, in, there's loads. In, in public sector. In yeah. public sector. Yeah, there's a lot. You get them in the NHS, you get them in government, you get them in That's what I found education. when I was doing research. You get yeah. them like, you, if you want to find black HR director, yeah, he Government. or she will be sitting in the NHS 
at some senior role with locks. <laughs> I'm telling no, you. No, but I know about six people they in director position. No, <laughs> no, no, no. But six, and they're all women, black women in senior leadership positions within government roles yeah. at the NHS or whatever it is, or parliament or something. And I'm like, there's that's a, that's a poaching pool mm. that agencies or private companies are not tapping into. Mm. Pay, pay us money because we just gave you a tip over there. No, no, like, it's, it's, we're invoicing everyone. It's just, it's, it's literally like you have to go and find it, get the budget, do what you, do what you want to do. I was going to make, I was going to say something about, I can't remember what I was going to say. I was going to say something about that. But yeah, it's fine. When it comes back to my, when it comes back to me, but yeah, go and, go and find them, look under rocks, do what you, do what you need to do to, to do it because otherwise it's just like, you're just talking yeah exactly exactly i mean just to kind of get some context as to why you decided to even start off in hr mm. or you didn't because you've done you done accounting well why I decided, the reason i decided to move into hr was just because i um the work i was doing i would speak to a lot of hr people like my clients when i was a consultant so my clients were mainly hr or tax people and they would come to me sometimes and they would um they would be like, oh, we're doing a termination payment it's because we need to settle this person. And I'll be like, instead of me thinking, let me go and do the tax calculation, I'll be like, oh, so why, why are you having to settle them out? What's, 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 what's going on? What's going what is on? the reason? What, what is the reason? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be like, what's the reason? Like, what's yeah. going on? Like, what's the tea? Like, tell me. And so, what do you think of mind your business? Yeah, mind your business and go and do that tax computation. But I was just into it. Like, I just wanted to know, like, I really realised that I liked the people stuff. And then also, because I was at Deloitte at the time, literally when I got there, me and you were like, we must have the same brain. Because literally when I got there, I was like, looking around like, where are all the black people? Please? <laughs> there were no black people. To the extent that I started an anonymous blog, uh, and it was all about graduate recruitment. It's still there now. And it gets like literally thousands of views, like whatever. Really? All about passing numerical reasons, how to interview these companies, all these stuff that you can really? do. And then I ended up um, co-chairing their multicultural network. So I was doing that's all of amazing. this type of, I was doing all this type, that's their BAME network. But now they have a black network since 2020. Okay. Black Lives Matter. I wasn't there. But um so I started doing this stuff and I was like, okay, cool. Like I like the the work work that I'm doing. Mm. I like the people side of it. And also I'm doing like recruitment programs, retention programs. Yeah. You know, I'm looking, I'm doing stuff like organizing senior client dinners or, you know, webinars for senior, you know, underrepresented talent to speak to the talent that's in the black yeah. so, so they can have role models. Yeah. So organizing mentoring programs, doing all the stuff which would typically sit within HR, but I'm doing it side of this and I'm doing it for free. Yeah. So I was like, surely I should just move into this kind of field. And then I got the opportunity to go on secondment to Thomas Cook while I was at Deloitte. Okay. And I was in a kind of a hybrid tax HR role. And then I just thought, yeah, this is this is lit. And I you liked like, it. What yeah. what is it about HR that you like now? The PC answer is I like being able to be a I like being able to be a positive person in someone's employee experience because yeah. we spend so much time at work that it's sad if it's not a good place to be. So the idea of making somewhere a good place to be is really nice um, and being able to impact someone's like journey like that and also having a real seat at the table, at least mm. in the kind of HR that I do, I can actually influence stuff. Mm. Um, and then the non-PC answer is it's like, you get to know all the gossip, you get to <laughs> find, out every, find out everything first. You know, you no, get, you do. No, you do. You, have, you find out everything first. You get to like... 
you just you just feel like and you just feel important. Listen, I'm not even hate Trump talent, but I know everything. I know yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. and I'm sitting. There, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, mm-hmm. because it's weird because I'm in talent and I'm not necessarily HR. People trust me a bit more than like a HR person because yeah, yeah. they still think I'm in and, the know how. And then you won't be a snitch. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I'm in the know how because I, I help to hire them or I've worked with their team and stuff. So they tell me I'm like okay, interesting. But in your so in your I know you, you mentioned earlier some of the core things that you do in HR. But what's some of the core things just in case there could be someone listening to you that wants to work with you or wants to get mentored by you or wants to pay mm-hmm. you for a talk or something. Mm-hmm. So what are your core HR skill sets? So in terms of the work I do, so I I I do interim HR placement. So basically, companies will pay me to go in and be their HR person when they don't have a HR person. So let's say their HR person leaves and they know it's going to take a while to find someone at a senior level. I'll come in on a short-term basis and I'll just be like running a show or I might come in to do a specific project. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a company recently, they're a fintech company and they're looking to get some specific certification, but they need to have all their HR processes like all their ducks in a row to get it and they weren't so they were like can you come in and fix this in like two months or three months and I went in to do that um on a part-time basis and I also do contingent recruitment so I will find you your HR unicorn so if you're like I want a HR person that does this this and this or I need an employee relations person or I need an L&D person and you know I need ideally they have a background doing that I'll go in and I'll I will find the person that you want mm. um I'll go to events I'll find them on LinkedIn I'll check mm. my network mm. Um, and I only do that for HR and talent, as I said before, because that's what I'm good at. Mm. Um, and then I just do HR consulting for mm. various things. So it can be anything as small as, oh, we need a new policy to mm. can you come in and do a, like a DNI audit for us and let us know what we should be doing or actually audit the recruitment we're doing to tell us if it's good or not. Mm. And from a recruitment perspective, I, like, I don't advertise myself to be like... I don't I advertise myself to be a diversity recruiter because I don't know like about that, but my the the candidates that I present will always be diverse, mm. be, not because of anything other than if they're not. I'm th- I'm looking at them. I'm like why, and I'm trying to find. I'm trying to I'm trying to do that, and because of the podcast and because of the content I create mm. and because of my presence and just because of my face, mm. I am more likely to attract yeah, yeah. more diverse candidates. Yeah, yeah. So for anyone that wants to connect with you. How can they best reach you? This is plug yourself. Yes, connect. so I am available on every social network at Adulting by Lola because I make content. So that's Adulting by Lola or one, no dashes or anything like that. And then if you want to connect with me on a more professional level, you can get me on LinkedIn and you can just search my name, which I'm, I'll hope will be in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything will be in there. So we'll, we'll link that there. But I'm, I live on LinkedIn. So if you send me a LinkedIn request and you listen to the pod, tell me that you listen to the pod because um, I like to know like how people have come across my profile. And I was on a podcast like recently actually mm. and someone connected me on the back of that and we're doing some stuff together. So it's quite cool. Oh, yeah. I love this connecting. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I love it. Well, I'm really happy that you managed to kind of spend some time with me and just chat no, to me. I, I loved it. It's been so fun. Yeah, just bouncing ideas, debating, understanding different things and <laughs> concepts. And I feel like I've learned something from this conversation. So thank you. Cool. I appreciate uh, it. And I should plug Everybody Hates HR Pod. Yeah. It's like, imagine hot girls but HR. <laughs> 
affairs with a HR twist. Literally, literally. And it's it, and it, I feel like it's a good platform to understand the minds behind people that are in HR because I think yeah. in organisations, they, they just see you as police yeah, and yeah, yeah. structure, but there's I'm actually good humans. advice as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? We give career advice, but we also give like, we answer dilemmas so people can send their dilemmas in if they have like work-related dilemmas. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody at work... Oh, you're ask me now? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm going to ask you now. Sorry, just... To, and I know, I know okay, I was wrapping up, but you know, I do what I want. <laughs> so, someone at work is unhappy in their role. They perform really well. Their results are really good, but the culture is really dampening on them. What should they do? Um, I would say... Like, like I said before, you sp- we spend too much time at work not to be happy. So if you always have to put yourself first, like mentally, like just health-wise, right, whether that's physical or mental, and if an environment is not conducive to you, you can try to make it conducive. So for instance, culture is different because it's really hard to impact that on an individual level. But if there are specific things that are not sitting right with you, I would actually always suggest escalating it first. What a lot of people do, especially black people, we're more likely to just say, oh, this is not for me and leave and opt out of those opportunities. But if there is something in particular and someone that you can speak to, whether it be your line manager, whether it be HR, if there's someone else with some pastoral um, role in your workplace, say it because you never know, things can change. And Mm. there are people who have had positive experiences of raising things and those things changing. And then if not, I would say, especially if you're a good performer, you're actually good at your job. Um, go and get another one. Like it, it, the, the economy is, is part of it. You know, I'm not saying I wouldn't have advised someone to leave their job in the middle of the mm-hmm. pandemic. But now things are still pretty buoyant, at least when yeah. we, until we hit this, hit this next recession. But <laughs> so it actually lands because yeah, we're yeah. talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, if, if you feel like you're not reaching your potential or, you know, you are a good performer and maybe you're not being recognised for it, they will we have a shortage a shortage of talent like talent is scarce in mm. most kind of industries now yeah. so you are like without sounding like too mechanical you're uh, a scarce resource like de- some demand and supply someone will pay you if they don't want to yeah that's, that's if you're good if you're not performing and stuff like that there's a, a completely different conversation <laughs> but if you are performing like you know start to figure out like what your worth is in the market yeah. you know start to talk to people it's like there's no obligation from having a conversation and as a recruiter i always say you lose nothing from having a conversation like even just starting to put the feelers out there you know switch your open to opportunities on linkedin maybe and just say casually browsing Mm. see what comes out to you you know start to network with other people that do similar things in other businesses and see you know what they like about their company like what they don't like about their company Mm. all of that kind of stuff and it will help you to make an informed decision about whether you want to stay or whether you want to go Mm. um but ultimately if the place is not if you're not happy then you should, I would always suggest moving on if you can't fix it because the state of being unhappy for a long period of time is not healthy. Yeah, yeah, it isn't. That's really good advice. Thank you. And whilst we're on topics of jobs, what are some of your hot jobs that you want to, that you want to advertise just in case? Someone um, might wanna- I am currently working on a number of HR roles, specifically um, an employee relations business partner role within a financial services business. So if you're interested in financial services, I'm also supporting... Can you talk salaries or no? Yeah, so that one is 55 to 70k depending on the 
experience. Yeah, experience. I have a couple of entry roles which I'm not actually working on formally, but I'm supporting some people I know to fill them. So those will be really good roles if you're interested in working, like to get putting your first foot into HR, and that's around like 28, 29k, and essentially it's like a HR help desk kind of person. What are the requirements for that role? Literally nothing. Like customer service okay a background would be good because it's help desk stuff okay. if you've worked in any sort of customer service help desk that'll be good especially if you've done something systems related right. but like hr is a really good place to like move on quite move on pretty, quick, pretty quickly if you like really want to know your stuff so for instance you can come into this role on 28k by next year you could be on like 32k in mm. another role and you might stay somewhere and then in three years you'll be on like 45k like mm. you can move up mm. quite quickly so the hardest thing to do for a lot of people is to get that first foot in on the ladder in hr mm. so this is a really good role for that and then i'm working on some some talent roles for um a tech business that I support but to be honest I'm at the latter stages so okay by the time this comes out it might be done okay <laughs> so should they if they want to apply if they want to get in contact with you about the roles LinkedIn message you or LinkedIn message me okay. my company is called Alchemy HR so search Alchemy HR or if you're on Instagram or stuff like that it's alchemy.hr but anywhere you find me you'll find if you go on LinkedIn you'll see that it's my business it's my company cool. if you go on like my Instagram you'll see it there and all that stuff Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks for plugging the roles and thank you thank for coming you. today. Thank and you. if you like this episode, everyone, just share it, like, subscribe, everything. All that good stuff. Yes. Uh, and um, yeah, sending you all positive vibes and love. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.